Our next retreat is finally here. It's called Adventures in Energetics, and it's happening November 8th to the 14th, 2024 in Boquete, Panama. This seven-day, six-night retreat in the beautiful cloud forest of Panama is going to be a unique experience. This program is a not-for-beginners retreat. And what I mean by that is you will actually have to fill out an application before you will be accepted to be able to register for the program because we are going to be doing more advanced level energetics and I need to make sure that everybody who comes is actually ready for the work. We will be doing a Kundalini awakening. We will be doing group visioning process called a spiritual canoe. We will be doing daily presence practices and working on expanding our energy. We will be doing daily rituals. This process will be related to specifically the people who are there because in addition to filling out the questionnaire about what your experience is, you're also gonna ask for what it is that you'd like to learn. So part of the curriculum for this is set and part of it will be designed around the desires of the participants. I only have 20 beds available for this retreat, so it will fill up quickly. So this is the time to register. Do not wait. To find out more, go to kellysparta.com forward slash retreat. I look forward to seeing you there. Another blood red sunset and yet another moon face and still another hundred miles to my next resting place. Driving down the road, eyes on the horizon, within my car I'm all Feeling good and feeling strong Knowing that this path I'm on brings me to myself I'm driving Hey now all, this is the spirit doctor, Kelly Sparta, and you are listening to Spirit Sherpa, the show that helps and encourages you on your journey to unlock your magic mojo. With me, as always on our mythology series round, is Kathy Shiren and... Bonus, Charlemagne Tremont. Hi, guys. Welcome. Hello. No hi from Charlemagne. Hello. Nice to see you. Nice to be with you. <laughs> I think uh, either you're delayed or, or you're a little tired. <laughs> so so uh, I'm, I'm pretty excited. So Kathy came up with this idea of doing The Wizard of Oz, which I hadn't thought about Uh Although, you know, it lends itself so incredibly to this topic of mythology and symbology. And and it's got so many layers. We started talking about it before the call. And I'm like, you know what? Let's just stop talking and get on, get on the podcast because there's, there's so much richness here. And I just want to mine it. So uh, I, you were talking about an elemental aspect. Actually, let's start with the traditional. Let's start with the the uh, out of the box. What what most people talk about. And Kathy, can you talk about the political uh, symbology of this initially? Um, well, yes and no. Because until I was just, I've been using the Wizard of Oz as symbology, mythology. You know, so many bits and pieces of it as teaching and training and allegory and all the rest of it for so long and none of it none of it in any way I ever used it was political and then i looked it up online today in <laughs> preparation for coming into this call thinking well i wonder how many other people interpret it the way i do and everything i saw was it was a 19th century political allegory and i'm like what 
<laughs> what? So, um, and and I was looking through, you know, the the plight of the farmers and the the distressed workers and the you know the uh, the Tin Man being the the put upon laborers and the you know all the rest of this kind of stuff. And it was I've never personally ever watched the Wizard of Oz and thought that watched the Wizard of Oz and interpreted it that way. Um, so the you know well and my, that's. My recommendation to the listeners is if you want to read about old history and the political interpretation of the Wizard of Oz, all you got to do is Google it. But I would much rather spend the time talking amongst us about the the kinds of metaphorical, transformational, energetic, you know, quarters, witches, you know, magic, um, wizards, etc. that we have used it for over the years instead of yeah. politics. Well, and, and I agree with that. The reason I brought it up is because I think it's so important to recognize that any particular uh, allegory, uh, mythology, story has its basis in the time in which it was written. And that basis will change over time depending upon the listener's ear and the teller's tongue, right? It is based on where you are in time. And so what the what the Wizard of Oz means to us today is utterly different than what it meant in its day. And that's going to be true whether you're dealing with the Wizard of Oz, whether you're dealing with Shakespeare's plays, or whether you're dealing with the Bible, right? They, they were written in very different times. And you have to be able to understand the times if you're trying to if you're trying to evoke literal meaning out of something you have to understand the time in which it was written but the joy of these things is that you don't need to get literal meaning out of them that you can take the mythology and the 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 energetics of it and interpret it in your way in your time frame and a good allegory a good mythology a good story will lend itself well to that because it is constructed in a way that is supportive of that process and so, um, you know, Charlemagne, you actually, on the beginning of the call, made a reference to the elements that I had not th- thought of before. Um, Kathy, have you used them in that way before? The, have you used I them? haven't. I, I was yeah. fascinated. We, we actually hadn't started recording it yet, so they won't have heard this. So Charlemagne right. needs, so to, I wanna... needs to say it again. But yeah. the um, I, I use completely different interpretations, which I think is, is kind of fun. So I'm excited to hear what Charlemagne has to say. Yeah, me too. All right. So um, go into what you were saying about the elements, if you would, Charlemagne. Certainly. So for me, it's been this very easy breakdown since I was a kid, actually recognizing as soon as I understood magic that the main, the four main characters are the representative in some ways of the four elements. So the scarecrow is, I only have a brain, so he's air, the head right? That the Tin Man was, if I only had a heart, he's water. If uh, the, the courage, the lacking courage, a lion was fire. And they're out of the elements out of balance, right? They're, they're very far out of balance. And then Dorothy was earth, but she's also the earth mother. She tends to each of them, each men, and brings them to the remedy for their imbalance, and then sort of the antagonists, although Glinda's not really an antagonist, she's a, she helps, but the witches are aspects of the feminine divine, if you will, or spirit. They kind of come in in this magical way and get involved and try to 
change or alter in some way the path of each character or have some history with each character. And we're, we're really led on this very interesting journey that they go on to become whole. Well, and it's really interesting because uh, Dorothy, as the, the earth element, is ungrounded through her high-heeled ruby slippers, right? So even she is out of balance, right? Because she's been pulled up in a tornado, literally pulled off the ground, and then left off the ground with these these ruby slippers that, that are high heels. Um, and so that's that's her and yet that's her way home at the same time is that that uh, the connection of those back to the tour, to the the ability to go home. So um, <clears throat> it's it's a fascinating concept. And it's one that I would never have thought because I just don't often look to to uh, to contemporary stuff to do ritual with, but I wouldn't have used it for ritual. But Kathy, you said you've used it for ritual over the years. Yes, in a couple different ways. Um, one of which is if you really think about the journey, it's a hero's journey in its own right. Right? That that there's a there's a desired state. There's um, something that they're seeking. That they have to face these challenges, these scary things, these impediments. Um, they get some help along the way, but there's a there's this whole hero's journey aspect to it. Um, the uh, we've used the uh, in ritual. We've used the component of um, masking. Okay, the wizard. When you get to the Emerald City. Right, the great and all powerful Oz. Pay no attention exactly. to the man behind the curtain. Exactly, pay yeah. <laughs> no attention to the man behind the curtain. But he's who's real, okay? And it, the great and all powerful Oz is this this image, this projection. This you know, this is who the assumption here in 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 a ritual context and this is what we were using was oh you put up this piece that says I'm big and all powerful and. You, little old me isn't important, okay? And yet little old me is is who is important. Another thing we used in ritual was um, the the idea that we carry within us our own answers, okay? I mean, all the things that they were looking for, they already had. And the wizard, not the great and all-powerful Oz, but the guy behind the curtain, was the one who was able to reflect that to them. You know, and say, well, you've got the way to go home. It's your shoes or you've got the, you know, you have the courage or you have the heart or you, it was already there and they just couldn't see it. They were looking for their answers outside of themselves. So all these are ritual components that we have used over the years, the journey, seeking answers outside of yourself, um, projecting, you know, trying to be what you think other people want to see, to be respected or to be appreciated. Um, those are all components that we've used in transformational ritual over the years. Yeah. Well, and I could foresee the poppy field sort of representing the land of the lotus eaters um, in that, you know, poppies are opium references and uh, or heroin references and the idea of, you know, staying in the place that feels good until you die. So, yeah, there's lots of different pieces and parts to it. And, you know, the idea that she is suddenly the focus of everything, right? And the, the yellow brick road is, is sort of like golden gold bricks, right? It's like, oh, is it, a, is it an allegory about money, right? Because you're following the gold brick road, right? 
So there's there's a lot of stuff in there. Charlemagne, have you ever used used it in a ritual, or uh, could you? Is there something that it triggered for you when you started looking at this? Definitely, it reminded me of things that I've taught around it in terms of you know it's interesting the way you're, you're where you're taking it. For me, the yellow brick road is always this both straight and narrow. And all of the interesting things happen when they step off that road, right? They have to run through the poppies and the poppies to me is very much representative of the land of dream, great dream and where magic abides. It's after they wake up from that, that they've, the, 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 the spell, right? That evil spell is lifted. The thing that has sort of blinded their eyes is erased. Now they can see everything in the, in Oz, uh, and the dog also is intuition. I think about the tarot a lot always because that's my one of my main tools, right? So Toto is like the dog in the fool card and leads them along. Toto, Toto is not confused. Toto is not at all um, deluded in that space. Toto sees things for how they are and helps them to navigate. They keep asking, Toto, which way? Toto, which way? That's the nature of the dog, right? Also a reliable guide. And, you know... That there's all these interesting little things too about where all of if you look at all of the creatures that are non-human creatures, they all play interesting roles too. You know, the, the the trees angrily pulling off their own apples and hurling them at them. You know, there's various kinds of lessons. Um, the flying monkeys also everything, all the beasts, the, the horse that changes colors. To me, the flying monkeys always represented um, fear. They're the, they're the fear demons coming down and like attacking you and, and making you feel unsafe and taking you to your final destination where you have to face that ultimate feel, fear, which is the Wicked Witch of the West, right? Yeah. And finding out that, you know, a pail of water solves a problem. <laughs> You're just like, what? But to me, that's also a very interesting thing, though, because, again, thinking about this elementally, the pail of water as a way of diminishing alfalfa who is very mighty and has feelings. She mourns her sister. She's very upset about the loss of her sister under Dorothy's house. And yet the water element is what dissolves her. So are we led to believe that she's otherwise unfeeling? I don't think so. So again, this is where I think you take it then the modern retelling of Wicked, the play is a phenomenal thing to look at in terms of really laying her a path of being an equal, of being actually exceedingly powerful and very, emotional very hurt that's the whole genesis of what that that play takes off on but that's a sort of a tale for another time perhaps but you know it's related for the modern viewer most people are aware that exists and it's funny because when i interpreted the water as dissolving the witch um i looked at it as that uh love dissolves fear because you know love emotions hard to water right and, um, you know, the Tin Man looking for his heart, the water piece of it. And um, that the Wicked Witch was in, you know, as a kid, was a very scary type of piece. And so what dissolves fear? The element of water. Love dissolves fear. When you look at the the storyline from Ifalba's perspective, uh, even within the story of the Wizard of Oz, even if you don't go into Wicked, um, you begin to see how limited of you can be when you're attached to your own perspective. Because in her world, Dorothy had to be a witch in order to have killed her sister, right? And therefore, the assumption was that she was battling against this this witch, this very powerful witch who managed to best her sister. 
And, and that assumption created an inequity in her approach, right? Had she assumed that Dorothy was who she said she was, which is just a girl, right? Um, then she might have taken some different approaches. And so, you know, these are, these are all things that, that the, the storyline here is so rich and the, the Munchkin land in the beginning and how they, uh, and Glinda, who in a lot of cases you look at as sort of the fairy godmother type of archetype, right? Because she floats in and she goes, Oh, here, let me tell you how to make your life better. And here, I'll t- set you off on this journey. And that's how you get there. Never mind the fact that she says, I want to go home. And Glinda ignores the fact that she's got the ruby slippers on her feet and could have just told her in the beginning, right? And so, you know, while she's presented as this, you know, fairy godmother, she actually is much more of more like a coyote shaman, right? <laughs> She's like, yeah, I'll show you how to get home and we'll take you through the journey to get you there, right? Um, because Glinda eventually is the one who reveals the ruby slippers at the end and says, you know, you, you always had the way home. So, uh, which if I had been Dorothy, I probably would have punched her in the face for <laughs> You hate me, Dorothy. Why? Another, through another lens, if you want to take it also more literal and political, you know, when, when Jonathan Swift wrote Gulliver's Travels, the, the Lilliputians are like the people of Oz, the Munchkins, right? And they're under the thumb of Glinda too. Like they need to obey. They they have to do. She keeps them in fear. She appears and they're initially extremely hesitant. If you look at it through that lens too, there are these people, these little people, exactly. They cower. They cower no matter who it is. If you're bigger, you're stronger, you've, you've got magic or power, you could turn it on them at any time. Which, which means that that's, that's a PTSD response to having had it happen in the past. So, you know, people don't just do that. So yes, it's, it's a, it's a good, good reflection there that they were scared of her. And, and even though they knew who she was, clearly. So, uh, you know, the, it is a rich tale. And I mean, I, I even see correlations to, you know, I, and initially I was looking at it and going, well, maybe it's got a correlation to the descent of Anana. And there's still pieces of that for me. It's just somewhere in there, there are pieces of that. And I'm trying to figure out where they are, but they, they exist in my head. Um there's a stripping away of self that Dorothy does. She starts off as this, you know, earnest, but innocent, you know, uh, child effectively. And this, this is her, also her coming of age, right? She, she is, she, she goes through these trials and tribulations and finally stands up to the person who represents the woman who had been terrorizing her in, in her regular life. And wins. For her, it's a coming of age, but it's a it's a stripping away of the innocence and a stripping away of the preconceived notions about what life is supposed to be. And and you know, oh, I don't know if we should leave the yellow brick road and that whole straight and narrow thing, right? And just meeting people that she's just like confused by, and and it, it, it's really a journey from childhood to adulthood, and in, in in a lot of ways as well yeah, for that reason. Stepping. Stepping into her power. Yeah. And, you know, initially letting the great and powerful Oz give her a, a task to go and do. But you know, the, 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 the magical 
beings are really fucking with her. You know, Glinda sends her on a journey. The Oz sends her on a journey. <laughs> like, come on, you know? But, uh, you know, and then she comes back to this. She keeps standing up to power. And each time she stands up to power, she claims a little bit more of her own. It is, it is, and it's a coming of age. It's a sovereignty, right? You know, it's, it's a smelting of character, right? It's a, you know, smelt your character in the, in the blacksmith shop of life, right? To, into the hardened steel that it needs to be in order to survive your, your life, uh, which, you know, gee, I don't think any of us can understand really. <laughs> And yet in the, in the final scene, right? And, and this was the piece, I saw the movie a number of times and, and a lot of times they edit that final scene and it's not there. I didn't see it. And that's the one where she wakes up from the dream, okay? And all our families around her and all the hired men and they're them. They're the lion and the tin man and the scarecrow. And it's, and to me, it was just this powerful statement of how our internal world that people take on representational energies for us, um, within our, our internal worlds that are actually their own beings, their own, you know, external to me. But in my internal world, they live and have their own realities. And, uh, and, and so there was this real just sort of when I finally saw that scene at the end of it, it was like, ah, you know, and, and there was another bridge from that, that internal, that dream state back into reality and what came with it. Yeah, exactly. And to to piggyback on that, however, I never saw the movie without that last scene. So that's very interesting to me because for me, that denial, they were like, oh, you just hit your head and had a horrible dream. She's like, well, there's a denying of what had happened to her in her reality. She's different. And it always felt to me as a kid, it used to kind of aggravate me a little. I'm like, she's being mansplained. (laughs) They've been telling her no, no, it's always been here. You just fell and knocked over, you knocked your head and it's nothing at all. And here's your dog and everything's fine. Like, is this a denial of the magical reality? Is she going to be the same tomorrow, next week? Or is she going to maintain the lessons that she learned? I've always felt also, you know, given that this was made as a movie in 1939, the same year as Gone with the Wind, a very different kind of mythology of a woman who was strong in a very intense and very real way. You know, you're, you're getting a really interesting juxtaposition. That's a whole topic I'm very rich on. It's, I love that, that real, it's a diametrically opposed in some ways. Um, and at the same time, right, here's Dorothy having awakened and saying, well, you were there. Exactly. You were there and you were there and you were there. And everything is kind of recast in this other light, this very harsh, gray world. Again, we're back in this very not so colorful. What are the possibilities for her in this world? Will she be seen still as powerful in this world? It's important for her to remember who she is. And we know if you look at the later Baum books, the Frank Baum books, you you see what happens. But, you know, if we're just taking this one as it is, I did, I couldn't continue because it was, to me, it was very upsetting. (laughs) I was like, wait. I mean, there's the recasting of the story and she has to go back and there's more hero's journey things to do. But again, you know, for me as a young kid who was a troublemaker and a rebellious kid, the idea that she would come back and remember, not only would she remember that the world would be realigned 
she would be respected in a different way, you know, but she's still just, she's just a little girl and there's, it's appropriate. I'm not sure that she would be respected. I mean, the outside world doesn't change because our inside world changes, right? We change and that causes the outside world to change. And so, but you know, you're walking into 1930s patriarchy, it's going to be a little more challenging than today, right? But it's still the same. It's the same choice whenever we go through a powerful transformational experience um, is, okay, you've had the experience and it shifted something inside you. How are you going to bridge it? Are you going to be able to bridge it back into real life? How is it going to, if at all, shift that? I mean, it was one of the standard things when I worked in corporate that was um, you send people out for training and they'd come back and go, wow, this training, this, that, and the other thing. And then nothing would change because the environment they came back into wouldn't allow it. And they would either have to, they'd have to let go of their change and be very unhappy about it, or they would have to move someplace where that change would be more welcome. And so in, um, yes, I understand that because I didn't see it when I was a kid. I saw that scene later. When I saw it, I saw it as a true part of the whole symbology of I've had this major life-transforming experience, and now I'm back here, and what am I going to do with it? And the movie ends because there is no answer to that question. It also just felt to me like a cultural denial that they just kept denying the experience. That's how it was for me as a kid. I mean, I'd look at it again, maybe differently, but you know, it was also trying to bring her back into a place where she would be how she was to them. And then her desire to maintain the strength of her lessons to be transformed by those lessons had less of a hope of happening. So it's an interesting thing. Yeah. So, um, you know, and I came at it from uh, childhood of having grown up with guided meditations and, you know, journey work and things like that. And to me, it was, you know, returning back from the journey to the world and recognizing that the elements of the journey exist in your life and that you can integrate them in any way you choose. Right. And so I took it very, very differently, even still than either one of you. So, <laughs> and that is the power of a really good story, Right. Um, well, I think, I think that's really, unless anybody has something they, they're desperate to add in, I think that's a good point to, to stop on. Are we good? I, I think it's an excellent point to stop on is, is that the power of the story, the power of the experience opens a doorway. And when you step through it, you have a, you're always a choice. When you step through that doorway, what kind of choices are you going to be making? And, and, that's what these stories are all about, to give us that opportunity for the doorway to come, to show up, and for us to choose how we're going to move forward. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, that's the work that, that the three of us actually do uh, in the world. We open the door, right? We open the door over and over again. And, you know, we give invitations to walk through. And, um, you know, once we get the retreats back up and running, that will be in real life, in real time, right? <laughs> Which is the coolest thing about the retreats. So we've, we've, uh, we've started the conversation about bringing the retreats back. We'll, we'll see how it goes, uh, but we're hoping for fall. And um, so, you know, once, uh, you know, this is the thing about, and, and we have this experience too with the retreats where people don't want to go home. Right. It's like, Oh, I don't want to leave. It feels so good here. Right. 
And, and there's that piece of, and you see that a lot in, in all kinds of retreats and in workshops and things like that, where people go to an event and they have this sense of community and this sense of belonging and this sense of, you know, really being in touch with the magic. And they're like, I don't want to leave it. It's like, we'll take it with you. Right. And, and so that's, you know, part of the, the work that you do in between and the, the joy that you put into the in between is to take the magic home with you. And so, you know, these are the things that, that, uh, that happen when you step into these spaces that give you these openings like a good story does. That's the beauty of the workshops, the beauty of the retreats, is that you have the experiences and you're in a safe container where you're, this reality, these possibilities are affirmed again and again. Yeah. So if you are out there and you're going, oh, my God, they're doing retreats. Ah, I have to know. I have to know about it. Then, you know, go to the website. There is an events uh, tab on the website and menu. And if you go onto the events page, there is the option to be able to join to be informed when the next retreat is coming. And that'll put you on the mailing list for that. And then that way you will find out about that. So by all means, if you're interested in doing a retreat with us, please do that. And uh, that'll help us to know how many people are interested. And so that we know uh, we can gauge how big an event site we need and that sort of thing. So, um, okay. So with that, a wrap up. So two, like one or two sentences to wrap up the, the, the call today. Who, who wants to take that? I would say that everybody's perspective is unique and we all share the journey. Perfect. All right. And that's all we have for this week. Please join us next week for when I share another episode on energy, magic, and the spirit world. I'm Kelly Sparta here with Kathy Shiron and Charlemagne Tremont. And you have been listening to Spirit Sherpa. So long, everyone. Bye-bye. Driving down the road, eyes on the horizon. Within my car, I'm all alone, but feeling good and feeling strong, knowing that this path I'm on brings me to myself, I'm driving. Are you waking up to the spiritual world and realizing that you have no idea what you're doing, but you feel like you kind of probably should, especially since you seem to be seeing things and feeling things and having things see you that maybe aren't so great and that you might want to actually control your experience of that. Well, I have great news for you because our Welcome to the Woo program does just that for you. It teaches you how to hold your energy field, manage your energy field, clear your energy field, protect your energy field, and learn how to protect your space. And you learn how to do basic divination and talk to your guides so that you feel like you actually have a clue and have a way to talk to the guides that will help you to figure everything else out. And it teaches you how to make sure that you feel mentally, emotionally, and energetically safe. That means that we also deal with things like fear and anxiety and worry and dread and self-doubt and inner and outer judgments. And we help you build a foundation of self-support and courage. All of these things together create a solid sense of safety in your own life. They will reduce your stress levels in half, guaranteed. So visit the website at kellysparta.com and find out more about the Welcome to the Woo program. Your future awaits.